I just left my parents. It's it's my last day with the dumpster. It's very bittersweet. Mm. And so I when I get off of here, I'm not sleeping until there's not another single solitary square inch inside of that thing. Although I don't have a dumpster for the the spousal body anymore. So that's a bummer. It is. Uh, I think it's Laura's you... turn next. It is Laura's turn for the big dumpster. Yeah. But I'm, I no longer have a shtick for these episodes and I might have to go back to last season's shtick. And I just see Jillian getting angry. <laughs> I don't know what, I'm not, this is just my face. It's just what my face looks like right now. I don't know how to tell you. I just, I have this face and that's the face I have. Hello, sisters, and welcome. Grab a drink in a familiar cozy up by a bubbling cauldron and join us for this meeting of the Sisters of the Night Caucus. Say hello, sisters. Hello, I am Katie. I'm Angela. I am Jillian. And uh, of course, uh, our producer, Dr. Ack, is with us. We have an exciting guest. Um, but before all that, as you know, we're going to get into it with Texas. Um, so who wants to kick it off? Um, Angela or Katie? I do. Okay, I would like it. to curse the, the state of dental health in the United States, which I actually think is worse than medical at this point. Um, I have a Cadillac of a health plan and dental plan. It's amazing. Um, in network preferred providers, like I didn't pay anything for one visit. It, it was great. Except I still need a root canal, which still will not be happening until July 15th at this point. Um, not costing me much. That's beautiful. But I'm in here with part of my face swollen because I've already done the antibiotics. I've already done the prednisone. Um, ibuprofen only does so much. And of course, I have crappy sinuses. It's infecting of that. So I'm just sitting here, the most chipper and pleasant person because there's no such thing as like emergency dentistry, like we have emergency rooms and dental health is important for overall medical health too. And I also- Yeah, I mean, infections can just spread to yeah. like the rest of, infections are not like, oh, hang on. I'm just staying in this one place. I can't move beyond here. I gotta stay here. No, it can go everywhere. But Guys, wait, yeah, you mean- what? You mean- even though you can die from an abscess tooth, yeah. Um, I well, I was under the impression that teeth were luxury bones. Oh, that's yeah. true. Teeth are luxury bones. They're luxury bones. <laughs> they're luxury. Bones. <laughs> I mean, that's why they're not covered. I also yeah. found out in the course of this because I had to establish a new dental provider because you know pandemic hadn't been in to yeah. see anybody. Right. That uh, you know. Uh, apparently insurance companies, it's been like a decade for dental insurance companies. They haven't raised their stuff either. It's been awful, which is why I was going in network, preferred provider, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, but yeah, of course. Um, waiting for a root canal is absolutely so much fun. And I have just so much focus and drive right now. Yay. Oh my God. Awful. Angela? Uh, 
Uh, mine is is a very broad hex, but I, I I it was important I felt to bring it up because I feel like we're in a very weird position here, um, and and you're gonna understand what I mean as soon as I say what my hex is. I would like to hex gas prices and inflation, mm. um, and and the reason I felt this was important to bring up is because. It is, uh, we're in a, a really, really, really weird position as sane, rational human beings in that, um, who are Democrats, in that because um, the right is so bizarrely hyper-focused on not understanding these factors at play and blaming everything on Joe Biden and the Biden administration, that yeah. it's put us in a strange position where I feel like um, you're not really so like, I don't really hear anyone acknowledging like, yeah, no, this sucks. Like, this is really awful. Like, man, oh man, have you gotten to the grocery store? You know, I mean, gas yeah. is 509. Um, so I, I think uh, while understanding the nuance of of all of this and, and, and um, not needing to put, you know, flashy little ridiculous stickers on gas pumps, uh, Joe mm -hmm. Biden did not do that. Um, there are a wide variety of factors at play, um, and I hope we get things under control. But um, yeah, I know I totally want to hex inflation because it, it is seriously terrible. Yeah, I, I think that it, it is. It's so it's so terrible, and it, it's just like, I mean, it's a multitude of factors, but largely it's that rich people are fucking greedy. So um, mm -hmm. rich people, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Pull your heads out of your asses um and yeah like joe biden nothing to do with it you know interestingly like i had uh there's a person that's facebook friends with me who had posted about like remembering in the early 2000s when in fact gas prices also got this high for a little bit um and people were like very like let's do car ride shares like let's like you know whatever um take public transit or stuff and this time there's really none of that. And, and he was like, let's talk about this, but like, don't mention politics. And I was like, mm, I don't know how to, I was like, I don't really think you can have this discussion without mentioning politics or like at the very least our political climate. Um, uh, well, and then I, I agree with you. And it was, good. that yeah. is a cool point to point out because that was the HOV lane boom. Yes, or, man, they yes. were putting those things in like crazy everywhere, mm -hmm. you know, high capacity lane. Um, yeah. uh, so weird thing is, and I, I do think, I do think you can discuss it without discussing the words Democrat and Republican. Right. Yes. Not like however, politics in that However. <laughs> Um, I'm not so sure you can discuss it without discussing end stage capitalism and that, mm -hmm. you know, that is a whole different ball game. And, you yeah. know, so I, I, there really isn't a way to speak about this without speaking about corporate profits. Yeah. And then, like you said, greed and, um, and then you're skipping on down the path and, yeah, before you know it, you've reached politics. I'm so sorry, what? everyone. Because, oh, <laughs> wait, who do, those, who do those corporations contribute to? I simply, how how could we ever find out? I don't what know, MarcellusMoney.org plug. <laughs> what, what? Nothing. 
<laughs> Marcella's money. Oh, okay. Sure. I mean, like there are many websites you can go to follow the money.org. If you're fancy, you can look stuff up on the FEC website. I mean, which is what I do for fun. That's, yes. that's where my real people are at. Yeah. If you're out in this, you're, if you're out in these streets, looking up stuff on the FEC website, website, you're one of us. I just got to say, if you go through people's finance reports and then make a spreadsheet, I get hot. Yeah. Love I mean, that's, Makes if me that's happy. something that you're into, then talk, talk spreadsheet to me, talk spreadsheet to me. All right. Listen, let me hex this. So I'm going to hex now. And this is what I'm hexing. Um, people who can't, how do I phrase this? People who do not deal well with honest dissent. And when I say that you might think Jillian's about to talk about Republicans. I'm not guys. I'm about to talk about Democrats. Listen, it is a stressful period of time. We're about to get into our County and state reorganizations, um, every four years we do this during gubernatorial years, you have heard us talk about it at length. There are places where there are contested chairs races. I'm not talking about the state chair race, which is contested and is drama. I'm not getting into that, but I'm saying there are places, multiple places where there are contested races, where there are chairs who have been in there for a while. and. I'm not saying they haven't done a good job in the past or that like their age necessarily means that they should step down. I am saying that you can be a sport about it at least. Um, And in fact, when somebody is saying like, here are the rules that are laid down for us to follow, then following those rules is not like sowing dissension in the party, right? Um, That's just following the rules. And if you weren't doing that before, maybe it's an honest mistake and maybe it's not. I don't make judgments. Why make judgments? That's a lie. I make so many judgments. Um, (laughs) Maybe you knew and maybe you didn't. Whatever, that's not what we're talking about right at this moment. We're talking about right at this moment is that like, yeah, sometimes institutions don't follow the rules that they're meant to follow. You get into like a bad rut where it's like, this is just how we do this thing because this is how we do it. Um, and we're like, tie- like we're scared of things changing because, oh my goodness, like what would happen? Um, but we're supposed to be the party of progress. So... Yeah. Um, Honest disagreements on policy, uh, trying to make sure that the rules are enforced properly. Uh, All of these things um, are not sowing dissension in the party. And if you're putting out that message that they are, you are the one sowing dissension in the party, sir or madam or gentle them probably sir though um that's that's it that's what i got that's that's what i have for you so yeah with that i'm gonna pass it over to katie because she's gonna introduce our fantastic guest sure 
wonderful mixes today. Anyway, today we have a special guest that I've wanted to have on for a while, just as things have been on fire in so many ways that intersect with what they do. Um, and finally, I think it's time. Um, we have, uh, I, I'm going to be stupidly formal about this title, um, the, the Rev. Dr. Ann K. Ard. Uh, <laughs> um, officially. Um, she has served as the Executive Director of CenterSafe, formerly the Center County Women's Resource Center, which is a domestic violence shelter and rape crisis center since 1997. She's provided leadership at both the state and local level. She's been involved with PCADV um, and PCAR. Uh, she has been appointed uh, back in 2015 by Governor Wolf to the Pennsylvania Commission on Women. She also chairs locally the Center County Domestic and Sexual Violence Task Force and serves on the Criminal Justice Advisory Board and writes a monthly column about healthy relationships. Prior to her work at CenterSafe, she was a senior diversity planning uh, analyst uh, in the Office of the Provost for Educational Equity at Penn State. She is also an ordained Presbyterian minister and got her professional start out of seminary as a campus minister focusing on women's issues and social justice. Hello, Anne, and I'm going to give a disclaimer that uh, I feel I should give is that I serve on the board of directors of Center Safe. Anne is our executive director. I am very clearly here in my personal capacity, um, but there are some issues that have been in the news recently, and Anne will be speaking and do her best to denote what might be a personal opinion and what would be an opinion um, as executive director of Center Safe with all of that. So hello, Anne, and welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm kind of excited to be here. And that is excessively formal to use all my titles. The the only people who ever use those are actually it's my son, the comedian, who tries to get all his friends to call me that. So I I like Reverend Doctor um, <laughs> only because I am also a nerdy Presbyterian. So there I'm just happy there um, to be ever, especially when I get to say it about women. Yeah, like, yeah. Like and here's every, all of the titles. I had a, a colleague um, when I, um, after she got her PhD, and she said to me, "You earn that, girl. You need to put that on your business card." And so I did. So, yes, love it. I'm Angela. Do you want to take the first one? Mm -hmm. I can do it. So. And I'm very excited as well to have you here and to dive into some of these issues because um, they've they've taken up a lot of space in our personal conversations as well in the last you know few weeks. So it's exciting to have these conversations on a broader scale. Um, what first got you in to the field? of domestic violence and sexual assault victim advocacy. How did you get here? Um, well, I, you know, what I like to say is I took the scenic route. Uh, you know, <laughs> I don't think anybody who has my background and training probably would necessarily be doing the same kind of work that I'm doing, but there is a logic to the path. When, when I came out of seminary, I, well, let me, it goes even further back than that. I mean, I was raised by 
strong women who believed in education and who had education and who were very clear that if being a woman, you could do whatever you wanted and should, you know. Um, My father was not quite so enlightened, although pretty close. He said, you know, I have every um, belief that you are going to grow up and get married. Now, this was in the 60s, mind you, um, that you're going to grow up and get married, but I want you to be able to support yourself and whatever children you may have. Okay, so we'll go with that, right? Not not bad for somebody in 1960 to say. Sure. But I I was always interested in women's issues, women's concerns. And when I came out of seminary, I looked intentionally for opportunities to work with young adults and to work in those areas of social justice and women's concerns. So I came here to do campus ministry at Penn State and those were, that was my sort of portfolio. And one of the things I did very early on was get involved in, go through the volunteer training class to be a counselor advocate at what was then called the Center County Women's Resource Center, which the, was the Rape, Crisis, and Domestic Violence Program. Because if you're concerned about social justice and women's concerns, you, you are concerned about domestic and sexual violence, right? Um, so I got involved at that level and was a volunteer for several years. I, you know, I took people to the, what was then an unstaffed shelter in the middle of the night. I answered the hotline, um, did all of those things that volunteers do. And then I I moved and became involved in their board of directors and actually chaired the board of directors, um, which Katie now sits on, for um, a couple of years in the mid eighties. And then I, Went, decided that I wanted to go to school, get a PhD. And I looked, I wanted, I thought I would probably always have a career in the context of higher education and be in an environment where there was a college or university. And so my doctorate was in higher ed, but my dissertation was on um, strategic change with an emphasis in increasing women's leadership. Um, so I finished that degree, worked for the university for a while, and then was invited to do some consulting for Center, what was then still the Women's Resource Center, and has since become Center Safe. Um, did some consulting for them, and when the opportunity came in 1997 to apply to be their executive director, I, apply, I applied and did that. Um, and it has been very interesting how my higher educational studies and organizational change with regard to women's leadership have been very relevant to the work that I do. So so that's how I got involved in it. You know, I watched my grandmother, I watched my mother, I watched both of those, those women give back to their communities. They were community leaders and they did that through being involved in advocacy for both women and children. And I kind of watched that and said, that's what I'm gonna do. I feel like we all kind of had moms like that or grandmothers like that in some fashion. There was some woman who was older who influenced us. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, And we were absolutely blessed. I love your path because, um, I don't know, for some reason, I always feel that the leaders that I always look up to 
um, end up having this very kind of winding but intuitive career path and and I try to trust that like I know even like for myself or even when I'm trying to give advice to people who are younger than me I always think like trust trust the wind kind of you know yeah exactly I think that's exactly right you pay attention to the opportunities that are there and know that there are times when you're going to think that the direction goes right when in fact it goes left it goes left for me a lot and and that's okay I like left um but but it's you know you got to pay attention to the way the road is going even if it deviates from what your original plan was yeah I mean that's that's super relatable for me I graduated uh as a non-traditional student um with a degree in political science at Penn State Altoona and I did not imagine uh, that this would be my first job out of college, but I, my first job out of college was um, working with uh, family services in Blair County huh. as the, mm-hmm. um, the direct services supervisor. There are a lot more, it was a much longer, weirder title with the word services oh, yeah. a bunch of times, yeah. um, <laughs> but but so I was in the, so I did that for about like a year and a half. Um, and mm-hmm. then I, I felt like I needed emotionally a break. And so I went to the t- totally emotionless world of union organizing. Oh yeah. Cause that's not hard. Yeah. Oh, with, with nurses, what? In a oh, pandemic, yes. what? <laughs> yeah, that was a. Uh... <laughs> it was a lateral move really in terms of emotional trauma, but, uh, but yeah, no, I think like, I totally, I'm totally on board with what Angela said. Like, I think, you know, um, it's so important to just kind of like go where, go where things are taking you. And not close off options, like being mm-hmm. so resolute in what you think your next move is going to be. Yeah. I mean, we're people who make spreadsheets. <laughs> oh yeah and I think and the next move might be lateral and that's that's okay you know it I think part of what is challenging oftentimes what I see in um and so full disclosure I just turned 66 I'm very old but what I often see in 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 folks who are younger and just starting in their career path is that they have this idea in their head if I'm not moving up in terms of title and salary and, you know, every two years I'm failing. And that just is not right. That's just not right. So a bit of, a bit of career counseling for all of you. I love it. I like this so much. Yeah. (laughs) So from that warm and comforting moment (laughs) right into the, the current events of the now. Um, so like I try to avoid this at all costs, but like, there's no avoiding it. So kind of, you know, we've, we've got the herd depth trial. There's been a, you know, a resolution to that. And so I think there's a lot of Mm -hmm. discussion about what, this means going forward for victim advocacy. And so like, what, you know, where are you on that? Right. So first personal disclaimer, this is totally me, not as the executive director. It was a shit show. Mm -hmm. So now I will give you my professional opinion as the executive director of Center State. Um, I think it was devastating for victims. You know, the reality is that there was not anything in what Amber Heard wrote in the 
in the Washington Post that was that by any stretch of the imagination could have been identified as defamatory to Johnny Depp. And yet the jury sided with him. What does so what does that tell us? What do we learn from this class? What we learn from this is that if you are rich, if you are powerful, if you are male, if you can get the P, if you can marshal a PR juggernaut in your favor, then you have the power to ruin anyone who dares say a negative word about you, whether it's true or not. And I happen to believe that probably in the case of of this situation, it likely was true that Johnny Depp was abusive. I don't, I, you know, I mean, I don't know him. I don't know her. I, but given what I saw, it seems reasonable to me to assume that. Um, but at the end of the day, here's here's what I think we learned is that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Somebody, I read something that said, this is really a blow to me too. And I think it's backlash. I think that's absolutely what it is. It is mm -hmm. backlash against women who dare to name what happened to them. And if you are a rich and a powerful man, you know, and you can, can point to other rich and powerful men who have, have um, been held accountable, but other than the ones who are in jail, the reality is they're making a comeback, you know? Yeah. Louis CJ is having a great time, um, you know. Yeah. So the reality is that there, that Me Too was a moment, an important moment, and a critical moment. But we cannot, we cannot stop evaluating the intersection between power and gender, and gender identity, and abuse because they're all connected. They're all connected and we have to look at that. Yeah, absolutely. But I think one of the things that, you know, I think we've seen too in the wake of this, right, is that like, there was this huge like right wing online push to defame as it were, Amber Heard. Mm -hmm. And like, I know, I, like, right, my Facebook, is so deeply curated. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. if you say a wrong word, you're gone. Mm -hmm. uh, I like a tidy Facebook page, but even I saw, like I saw the memes, I saw all yeah. of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, one, I'm sorry, again, personal opinion. When did Johnny Depp become a hero of the right? Really? Right. Really? Well, when he was accused of being an abuser by a woman. And so, you know, all of a sudden all bets are off and we can trash her and you know, make no mistake. That is all part of it. You know, that's all part of it. The, the trashing of her on social media, um, that all of it is, is, is all part of the backlash. I have, I, you know, I don't mean to be a conspiracy theory here. I think it was some broader conspiracy, but I do think it was driven by, by Johnny Depp's PR machine. Yeah. I think it boggles my mind. Johnny Depp lost the defamation suit in England. Yeah. But one here. And let's keep in mind, like for anybody listening, like this is not the thing that it seems that folks 
in social media have not grasped is this was a defamation suit, not anything. Yeah, civil jury trial. Um, never take a case to the jury. Um, but that it was like, this wasn't about who was abusive or anything like that. I mean, they had to talk about it because of the defamation suit. And this is what happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this was not a trial about um, abusive behavior. You know, Johnny Depp was not on trial for being abusive. Um, this this was a defamation suit. And I think that that part of what that blurs those lines even further. Right. You know, it's interesting because I, <laughs> you said, Katie, never take a trial to the jury. One of the things that I tell are the prevention educators who work for us at Center Safe is that you need to think about what you're doing um, in terms of prevention as it broadly defined. This is jury education. Now, we are never, I am, trust me when I tell you, I will never stand in front of a jury and educate them, a panel jury. But if I can educate the people in our communities who might serve on a jury so that they understand the dynamics of domestic violence or sexual assault or stalking, I'm doing my job. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we already covered that. I was going to do like a follow-up question, but like, I feel like we covered that. Like the media and I think well, I saw it's it is it, you know it is very it's difficult we live in a 24-hour yeah. news cycle and and so they have they've got hours to fill yeah. and you know it's it's the same thing as watching somebody get interviewed 14 times or or random people who really have nothing positive or or constructive to add to a conversation but we're going to interview this person because they happen to live in the town where this event happened, whether they know anything about it or not, right? Because there's a media, there's a, a news cycle that has to, that generates its own stories. But I think if we don't look at that critically, then what we're going to, what we're going to get is whatever people fill that media and news cycle with, whether it's accurate or constructive, not. And I think yep. there's a, uh, you know, 250 pages of names from the Southern Baptist Convention seems to have already disappeared from the news cycle. I know. How about that? How and about in, that? And in the meantime, and in the meantime, you can pay a PR firm and mm -hmm. bots to fill yes. timelines full yes. uh, of, of things um, of, of memes and and faux news stories uh you know um fomenting this back <clears throat> this backlash and what what is to me so ridiculously concerning about this is that well a it's a i mean it is just another example of the disinformation mm -hmm. and the sewing of narratives that we've seen politically but this mm -hmm. is the first time we've ever really seen it play out in what i would consider more of a you know um social issue right. in the united states mm -hmm. in, in in this um you know, I mean, it was such a Trojan horse because on one hand, you think that you're, this is like some, you know, happy little, and there's nothing happy about this, but you think it's, it's celebrity gossip and there's nothing right. celebrity gossip about this because the level of, of, um, 
shareability of all of that misinformation, mm-hmm. right. um, you know, creates a system by which one, I mean, just like we saw for the last, you know, four or five years, there are things that are now acceptable to say again mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. victims and women yeah. that are insane, right. insane. And right. then secondly, you have an entire, you have an entire um, social media audience of women, you know, so many of whom are victims who are like, who are trying to wade through these comments and these memes and this unspeakable misogyny uh-huh. to try to look at a picture of their like niece going to prom. Right. You know, because right. it's so yeah. easy for people to say, right. oh, just stay off social media, just stay off social media. That's yeah. where, that's literally how we interact with the people in our community. It is. It is. That's how I interact with the people I went to elementary school with, mm-hmm. you know, and so not getting on social media is pro- is not really an option for folks. But I think, you know, the, the message that this sends to folks, it, I, I read a thread on Twitter, speaking of social media, by somebody who's done a lot of um, work around the Jeffrey Epstein case. And one of the things he said is, you know, it is so difficult for survivors to come forward because the people they are aiming are powerful people. And so given what we've just seen in the, in the herd death case, how much more difficult is it to, you know, Johnny Depp was really clear. I'm going to destroy you. And guess what? I, I, hopefully he hasn't. And that Amber Heard has a group of people around her who will support her and that her career will not be negatively impacted by that. But if it's not, it's not for lack of trying on Johnny Depp's part. I mean, he was explicit about that. So what does, what message does that send to survivors about what will happen to you if you come forward? You know, we, years ago, we did um, a video, we worked with the State College Police and WPSU to do a video about a domestic violence homicide in Center County. It was called Telling Amy's Story. And one of the things that the police detective who who put together the timeline of um, Amy Homan McGee's murder said is that that she was convinced that if we could if we could guarantee to victims that we would be able to provide them safety that lots more of them would come forward and would seek assistance and the reality is true if we were able to assure victims that they would be believed they would be coming out of the woodwork but we can't we can tell them that we believe them and we can tell them that at least in center county we we have law enforcement we have a district attorney we have folks within the system who will believe them but we can't tell them that the media will or that their next door neighbor will or that their names aren't going to get dragged through the mud we can't promise that yeah and 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 knows a little bit of this not not all of it um but you know just for angela and jillian might actually know this just personally i don't think i said this on the podcast but you know being a victim um when i was asked by the state police to press charges 
was just turned, was turning 17. What was in the news? Monica Lewinsky and Bill Clinton. Mm -hmm. And all I could think to myself was, what the fuck is the point? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because that's what I was seeing as a young woman on the news. What the hell's the point? Nobody's going to believe me. You know, learning, like actually learning about things like power dynamics, going, what the heck? And seeing this on the news and seeing Monica Lewinsky being dragged through the mud because Mm -hmm. of a man in power. Right. And Mm -hmm. this does, this only stops when we keep working to make it stop, make people feel more comfortable to come forward. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of just while we were having this discussion, my teenager popped in and was like let me tell you my piece um which is and what she said is like I feel like you know a few years from now we're gonna see people on the right that are like I was radicalized by the her death trial and and then in fact it's like eerily similar to Gamergate for people that are familiar with that which is like a situation where I mean essentially it was just misogyny right um and the gag was always, it's about ethics and gaming journalism. It wasn't about ethics and gaming journalism. <laughs> like that's, no, <laughs> you know, it was, uh, it was about a woman who was creating videos that pointed out the misogynist tropes mm-hmm. in the gaming industry. Right. Um, and then like a group of, at that, I and mean, then like at that point, right, it was like, really, it was just like trolls. But now like mm-hmm. in the, place where we are that's been weaponized in a a disturbing way yeah yeah i think it has and yeah and here we are again fighting the good fight though absolutely all day every day yep and if you guys are listening that you guys out there in listener land um have been victims of sexual harassment, sexual assault, or sexual violence. Big, 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 big hugs from a fellow victim, multiple fellow victims on this podcast. We've been struggling too with wading through these toxic waters and you are not alone. I just want to say that. Um, if you have been feeling a lot of different ways around it um, because it's been awful. And and thank you so much for saying that because that I think is the message, right? That you are not alone. And, and you don't, if you, whether you decide to come forward or whether you decide to not, absolutely your decision. Everybody makes those decisions on their own based on what they believe is in their best interest. But there are people who will be there with you through all of it right so it's in a, not, judge, it's in not a judgment free right zone now. yeah you're with you through the duration and there's no such thing as a perfect victim nope. so toss that out because it's a whole bunch of disgusting toxic bull crap um so i'll go to the next question because i'm gonna talk good not to get all like emotional <laughs> this is a, it's an emotional topic you know yeah you know? absolutely um So, Anne, you have been heavily involved with, and listen, I am going to say 
the acronyms and then you can tell they can tell the, yeah no you can yeah you can tell the listeners mm-hmm. what they stand for uh so we're going to talk about <laughs> your work in Harrisburg um so you've been heavily involved in PCAR mm-hmm. what does that stand for that stands for the Pennsylvania Coalition Against Rape and PCADV mm-hmm which is the Pennsylvania Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Perfect. Um, So there's a lot happening in the Capitol with legislation. Mm -hmm. Can you give us an update on these things? Oh, goodness. Well, you all may know more about this than I. I also want to say that I'm on my second go round as a commissioner on the Pennsylvania Commission on Crime and Delinquency. So um, while I am not in Harrisburg every day, those are those are folks who are doing the policy analysis for both PCAR and PCADV. Um, I do try to pay attention to it. Um, and I think that there are some, some good things happening. Now, there's also things, you know, the end of a legislative session is just a weird place, right? It's, you all know that better, much better than I do. But when there are things that are happening so fast and furious as we're trying to get to the end of the session, that's hard to keep track. I think there are some positive things. I think um, Representative Conklin's bill about um, prohibiting abusers from holding office, that's, mm-hmm. that has some real potential. That's great. I think there are some things that are clearly problematic in terms of women's autonomy and rights to determine what happens to their bodies, which gets acted in terms of reproductive health care and abortion, but really has some really clear links, I think, to sexual and domestic violence. Um, and we can talk more about that. I'm happy to draw that line for you. Um, but I also think that there, you know, there are some issues happening around the issue of gun violence. And when something like 63% of the domestic violence homicides in Pennsylvania are, are involve a firearm, how can we not be talking about gun violence? You know, that's, this has been an issue for PCCD, the Commission on Crime and Delinquency for Governor Wolf, um, that, and, ho- and I know that there are Democrats in both houses that are really trying to move stuff forward, but they're just getting blocked. So, yes. So I am both, you know, I'm encouraged by the things that are having discussion and I am discouraged by the things that are not. Can you draw that line that you were talking about? Yeah, I can. Just directly from, yeah. you know, yeah. domestic violence to reproductive mm-hmm. autonomy? You know, for for me, and I and I think it's it is, this is again, professional opinion. The reality is that for victims of both sexual and domestic violence, one of the fundamental things that has been stolen from them through the violence they've experienced is the right to control their own body. In domestic violence, someone has physically assaulted you, right? So you don't, you no longer have a sense of your own physical safety and control over that. And that same is true for sexual violence. Someone has physically, sexually violated you and stolen your bodily autonomy. What is critical for victims 
is to be able to reestablish a sense of bodily autonomy, right? That means that for victims of sexual violence, for example, it means they get to be in charge of the 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 things that happen after that, the medical treatment they get, the um, the ways people care for their bodies. That the same as victims of physical violence. They need to be in in control of their physical surroundings, of where they live, of of how their physical injuries are treated and handled. And when you think about that, you know, I it's hard for me to imagine anything more violating than having some legislator somewhere and whether or not you can bear a child. You know, that is exactly what happens to victims in, on, in an interpersonal way, victims of sexual and domestic violence. Some other person has determined what will happen to their body. And we're talking about reproductive health care. And when we're talking about abortion, we're talking about somebody who's even farther removed than an intimate partner. But who is telling you what you can and cannot do with your own body. I, the, those lines are just very clear to me. They're, they're stark. Now, when you, when you drill down, we also know that sexual violence, you know, it's a myth that sexual violence does not result in pregnancy. It absolutely does. Um, and it, it may involve pregnancy in as many as a quarter of, of sexual violence victims, right? We also know that, and we see this all the time, that abusers in domestic violence situations often use reproductive coercion as another tactic, either limiting people's access to birth control, making them bear children that they don't want, or conversely, forcing people to have abortions that they don't want to have um, as a maintain power and control over their victim. So there are those real clear ways that we see that, that enacted for victims of sexual and domestic violence. But really for me, it's about that the, at a fundamental level, it's about having one's own bodily autonomy. So. Yeah. I mean, I think some of the laws that we've seen, um, you know, introduced throughout the country have been really terrifying um you know from like outright bans on abortion too and this is like wild um and i i like i follow just a weird collection of people on twitter but um this happened across my feed which was a bill that was introduced in puerto rico where that would essentially if you became pregnant as a result of a sexual assault um, that then if you weren't planning to keep that pregnancy to term uh-huh. and you didn't get an abortion before 22 weeks, you'd be forced to be prematurely induced at that point at oh, like yeah. 22 weeks. Yeah. That's just insane. Uh, I, I like, I, I mean, it's terrifying. Like that's it is two, terrifying. two weeks earlier, the Planned Parenthood would be Casey, you know, like what the hell yeah yeah it's yeah it's crazy i mean and in pennsylvania that there is a movement to have a constitutional amendment that does that states explicitly that pennsylvania's constitution does not guarantee reproductive health care and we know a constitutional amendment doesn't have a governor's backstop right because the governor can't veto a constitutional amendment only has to pass has to pass the house and senate twice 
in two sessions, right? Which is a little bit of a hurdle, but certainly has happened. Mm-hmm. And you all probably know this better than I do, but what I'm understanding is that once constitutional amendments get on the ballot, they rarely fail. They are typically approved. I think it's so, 40 years since one failed. Yeah, so we yeah. have to be paying attention to this. Absolutely have to be paying attention to this. This is a call to help elect state legislators who are not down for this crap. Yeah, yeah. So just to work, all of my friends who, who want to be sending their money to candidates who are running against high-profile candidates in some other state, no, 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 give your money locally. <laughs> Keep your money in Pennsylvania and to give your money to candidates who can protect your rights here in Pennsylvania. Preach it. That, that was me. That was not the executive director of Center State. That was my own personal opinion. Your personal opinion right on the money, yeah. <laughs> we need every dollar. Every yeah. single dollar that we can get in Pennsylvania mm-hmm. in these races to protect our reproductive rights. Absolutely. Yeah. Because they have like, there's so many steps here. Like there's so many ways it could go wrong. We really, really need all hands on deck, including yeah, really one of We absolutely do. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to throw something in the mix that I didn't already put on the agenda because I'm, I'm a bad person. Um, <laughs> but so this is like um, sort of a dual <laughs> professional interest for me. So, you know, like Katie said, um, I work with nurses. So I'm a union organizer and I work with nurses, uh, specifically UPMC Altoona. Um, and in Blair County, we're experiencing uh, a shortage of sane nurses which Mm -hmm. for those of you who are not aware, that's sexual assault nurse examiner. Mm -hmm. And that is a nurse that has been trained to, you know, do a rape kit, right? Mm -hmm. We have two in the county right now. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, wait, no, I lie. We have five in the county. We have two at UPMC Altoona, which is not Mm -hmm. enough. And they're both on day shift. Um, You know, I mean, we're very lucky in that one of them has said like, you know, you can call me in whenever you need me. She will come uh-huh. in and, you know, whatever. But it is, you know, a frightening thing, I think probably both for victims and for the nurses because, uh-huh. you know, they're being put in a situation where, you know, as a nurse, you may have to do a sexual right. assault examination without that training. Mm. You know, and I guess, uh, I think where, that- how do you feel about that? I know it's a, it's a challenge, um, frankly, and I think that there are a couple of there are a couple of things that are are make it difficult. In Center County, all of the nurses in the emergency department at Mountain Any Medical Center are are trained to be saints. Um, oh wow! Yeah, but the downside to that, right? And there is a downside, which is an unintended consequence, is that you may have, you may have nurses who are themselves survivors, right? And for whom being asked to do that, or you may have folks who, who are not particularly skilled or not particularly. Now I am not saying that about our, the nursing staff at Mount. Right. No, of course. Um, 
we work with them really well. So I want to say that, but I do think that there are a couple of ways you can do it, right? You can have all of your ED nurses trained as SANES, but it, it is in some ways a specialization. And you want mm-hmm. people to specialize because you want yeah. them to have both the desire and the training and the skill set to do it. So on, but what that means is that if you, if you don't have everybody trained, then you're likely to have way fewer nurses who are able to do it, who are available yeah. to be called in. So it's, it's really a catch 22. And I think that what I'm seeing some legislatively and what PCAR has been pushing for is to increase the number of sayings throughout um, the, the Commonwealth because it's a critical resource. Absolutely yeah. critical. Now, shout out to um, a friend of mine, Sheridan Miyamoto, who is a faculty member at Penn State, who runs the what's called the Safety Center. And what Sheridan is doing with her federally funded grant at Penn State is a telehealth model that actually provides SANES on site in a lab who can then be called by primarily rural hospitals who, and they can work with the nurses in those rural hospital emergency rooms can work with the the SANES who are on site and on call at Penn State and they can walk them through the process. So, That's you know, really there, a part of what this says to me is we have to be creative in the way we think about this. Yeah. We, we, it, if we get locked into either or solutions, either everybody does it, or we're only going to have specialized people that we call when we need them. It's neither of those are going to be exactly what we want. So let's think right. creatively about how do we do some new things? Yeah, I think that that's honestly, that's fantastic because I know like it's something, it's something that like as an organizer, I'm, you know, mm-hmm. I'm like trying to think about how do right. I, you know, obviously as just a human who has a heart and um, <laughs> and as a former domestic violence, sexual assault victim advocate, I want to make sure that victims are safe. But I, you know, also it is literally my job to make sure that nurses have, you know, a safe work environment, which like they don't right, right. now. Um, so that's right. very hard, but, but yeah. And I think that's, that's a really interesting option. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We just have to be like everything else it comes down to money and how do we how do we guarantee that that there is funding to be creative in the ways that we approach these kinds of situations yeah absolutely well um that was the last deep question um (laughs) but what i am going to say is Anne, you are retiring very very soon congratulations we shall miss you you. um i'm not dying i'm just retiring (laughs) i know and i'm like making a list of all of the things that i want to do and be involved in um Uh, the news is is like i i know you outside of my space yeah. on the board um <laughs> but we kind of talked earlier my my last question would be for younger women getting involved in this field what do you recommend but i think you also kind of recommended it at the beginning with that with our career path conversation but if there's anything else you would like to impart you know i think part of what i want to impart and it, this is this is the choir to which i am preaching but you got to get involved politically. You cannot assume that 
that all of the rights that we have been so blessed to have that you can take those for granted because you can't. I have a daughter who is 33. I have a son who just turned 30. Um, both of them, I have really pushed to be politically engaged in their communities. My daughter, bless her heart, um, lives in Kentucky. Um, luckily, oh she lives in Lexington, Kentucky, which is kind of a bubble. It's kind of like State College. But, um, but you have to be... Um, you really do have to get engaged politically. And I will tell you that one of the things that I'm looking forward to when I retire is being able to be more active in democratic politics, party politics, because it has been important for me as the executive director of center safe to be able to, to interact both with um, folks on both sides of the aisle. Right. Mm -hmm. And I have to be able to talk to, and, Frankly, to be perfectly honest, I have maintained a good working relationship with Jay Corman, with Carrie Benninghoff, and I think that they, you know, they know that we don't agree on everything, but they also know that I'm going to be an advocate for victims, and they listen when I talk to them about that. So I've been had to be really careful about how I do that because it's important to maintain those connections. But once I'm retired. Then I get to do what I want. I get, then yeah, I get yeah. to follow. I get to follow my heart, right, and go where my heart tells me to go. Um, Watch out for Anne's heart, Jake. So, I'm, so I think that's. I just think that's really important. I think sometimes um, folks who are under 60, 50, and some of us who are, you know, we look at this and we think, "What do you mean Roe versus Wade is going to be overturned? What?" This is established law. Well, you know, those of us who say that haven't been paying attention. Yeah. And, you know, and it's important for everybody to be engaged to, to create the kind of communities that we want to live in and want our kids to live in and want to be a part of. So. 100%. Thank you so much, Anne. Oh you my are God. welcome. This is fun. I'd love yeah. to talk to you guys. I will come and talk to you anytime. Awesome. One hundo. Love that. Uh, oh, listen, folks. Um, you know, as we bring it in for a landing, I'm going to remind you, of course, that we've got pride events all over the place uh, in the, you know, in the, in the month that we're in, which is pride month. Uh, you may call it June. I just call it pride. Um, and state college pride is on June 11th. That is this weekend. Uh, as, as Katie mentioned, we will both be there. Her and I, um, will be in a car, but uh, you know, obviously at some point we'll be walking around. So say hi. Um, and I wanted to point out for the second year in a row on June 25th, uh, Roaring Springs is having a pride walk. Um, Roaring Spring is in Blair County. It's a teeny, teeny, tiny borough. And this pride walk is a labor of love. If you can come out, please come out. Um, I'm so infinitely proud, uh, to have people in my County that will do this, not like, you know, uh, there's not something in Altoona this year to my sadness, but like 
that people would organize this in like Roaring Spring is beautiful to me and I love it. So please check that out. And of course, just like search around, see what's out for Pride um, in your area. So, uh, you know, then listen, you've got to join us on Patreon because state committee is coming up. It's not this weekend, it's next weekend. Uh, But when we are ready to spill tea, when we are... (laughs) When we're walking around doing our jam, uh, who is the exclusive content going to? The patrons, folks. Uh, If you're not, yeah, Katie. There might, maybe, nobody has agreed to this yet. There might be an exclusive content of Katie hasn't really had alcohol in quite a while and will be drinking. What will she say, bingo? What will she say? We love that. We love it. It'll be delightful, but you're only going to get the content if you are a patron because this is exclusive shit okay this is like next level stuff so five dollars a month or more you can do more um more money means more stuff uh and just help us continue to create this content because it is fun for us. And we, we believe that it is in fact fun for you also. Uh, that is the, that is a signal we've been getting from you. Uh, do let us know if it changes. So <laughs> with that, I want to say thank you so much to our, uh, to our special guest, Ann Ard. So, so excited to have had you, uh, to my co-witches, Katie and Angela, and as always to our mysterious and delightful producer, Dr. Ack, um, you know, follow us on the Instagrams and the Facebooks, um, I don't think I've mentioned the Facebook before. We do actually have a Facebook page, uh, but follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the night pocket, subscribe, rate us on Apple pods, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your pods. And like, you know, we just said, come do it. Come join our community by becoming a Patreon supporter. All right. We'll smother you with hugs virtually. Yes. We'll smother you with hugs virtually. Peace out folks. Bye.